Welcome to episode 79 of the Contra Fabulous podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we kind of have a new angle now that we've restarted the podcast that we'd like the show to go. Yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to try to stick with some themes. We're doing a little bit more planning that goes into these. Um, kind of spend some time, you know, we said we're not going to do it every week. We're, we're going to shoot for every other week. And so I would say, you know, in between, we're doing a lot of research. But, you know, our new theme is all about really kind of targeting fabulism and actually taking and breaking down um, certain phrases, sayings, things that I think we're bombarded with so much that sometimes we, we don't, uh, we're kind of immune or numb to actually what they mean, or maybe we've never actually stepped back and analyzed what they mean. But this week we really wanted to focus on, focus on, I know one of your favorites, software is eating the world. Software is eating the world. Yeah. So this was, um, this was a Wall Street Journal article that appeared in August of 2011, written by venture capitalist Mark Andreessen. And I'll just give a quick uh, bio uh, or an interpretation of his life story based on where I sit. Um, he's actually a month older than me, but I think I uh, look far better, far healthier, and have certainly done less damage to the planet than Mark Andreessen. Uh, he attended the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign for college, and there he worked on the Mosaic browser, right, the first web browser. And when he left school, he created a company called the Mosaic Communications Corporation. Uh, he swear he rewrote the code to its main product, a web browser, but no surprise, you know, the university wasn't very pleased. So the name was changed to Netscape Communications and its flagship product was the browser Netscape Navigator. Uh, The company went public in 1995. Uh, Andreessen appeared on the cover of Time magazine at the time. You might not recognize him because he had hair then. Uh, The title, the headline was The Golden Geeks. And it really led up to um, the, the, the IPO of, of Netscape really led up to the early dot-com boom and then bust. Uh, in 2009, uh, Andreessen co-founded the venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz with Ben Horowitz, who had um, co-founded uh, LabCloud with him. Uh, Horowitz is the son of the right-wing commentator David Horowitz, um, and their firm's investments include uh, Facebook, Groupon, Foursquare, Twitter, Zynga, Pinterest. Um, in education technology, they've backed AltSchool, which has gone out of business, uh, No, which has gone out of business, and Udacity, uh, so a, a real a real series of just hits out of the park. Um, and I happen to be one of the many, many people that he has blocked on Twitter. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's the, what we, when we want to talk about the, the, the op-ed piece that he wrote today, it's important to sort of think about the context of this, right? Like the, you know, following the IPO of Netscape, like I said, there was this flurry of investment in tech companies, many of whom were losing vast amount of money and as such were greatly overvalued. 
so in 2000, of course, the bubble bursts. Um, there were a number of made things, things that made investors, not just venture capitalists, but investors in Wall Street, right, see these stocks as, as a bad deal, right? The merger of AOL and Time Warner, there was an antitrust decision levied against Microsoft and so on. And in November 2000, Pets.com, which is one of the famous sort of failure stories, was forced to go out of business just nine months after its IPO. And it's, it seemed like the tech investors, right, both the venture capitalists and the the folks investing in the stock market had totally misjudged the market, had totally misjudged these tech companies. And so his op-ed piece is really can't be read without thinking about that. And it is was published, like I said, in the Wall Street Journal. Again, significant where this first appeared um, on August 20th, 2011. And again, what else was happening then? Uh, 2011 was Occupy Wall Street. Uh, 2011 was the debt crisis in Europe, um, really, um, because of neoliberalism and austerity. It was the Arab Spring, um, the anti-authoritarian movements in some other countries of the Middle East that, you know, tech companies and Western journalists really wanted to co-opt as a tech thing. So it's important to think about, like, this this argument that software is eating the world didn't just appear out of nowhere or appear from sort of nobody, but it's a particular person with a particular history um, and a particular interest, which is, which is financial, right? So do you want to talk a little bit about maybe what the article says? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I can't really say if I actually read the article when it came out. I'm guessing no, because it was behind a paywall. But what really stood out to me is Andreessen is really making a case to an uh, to investors and to the readers of the Wall Street Journal, I guess, who I technically wasn't the target of at that time. But, you know, he, he's he's selling to investors and he's really pitching them that the technology companies are not overvalued and we're not in a bubble, you know, really trying to convince people and, and, and take the chill factor down a little bit, you know. But it's I think it's worth remembering at this time that Facebook and Twitter had not gone public. So kind of giving context, I think we kind of, Looking back, we, we kind of take those things for granted and think that. And he wanted, you know, sorry to interrupt, but he wanted, he wanted to stress to people that these companies were going to be worth a lot of money, right? And you should get on the Facebook and Twitter train, that these weren't going to repeat. These weren't something that was valued highly in private markets that when they went public, like Pets.com, kind of shot the bed, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, he's trying to, I mean, he's, he's making a pitch at making a sell here. And he writes that, you know, too much of, of this is still around financial valuation as opposed to the, uh, this underlying value that he sees coming out of Silicon Valley's, these best and the brightest companies. Um, and you and I kick, kick around a theory, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that we're in the middle of a dramatic and broad technical, technic, excuse me, technological and economic shift, you know, and these companies were taking over large swaths of what's going on, the economy. And you can really interpret this in a couple of ways. You know, traditional valuation methods are out of date for for tech companies, and tech companies are are 
are valuable financially, but that many investors, you know, really didn't understand this new model. It was like over their heads and they really couldn't uh, get up to speed on what's going on. So he's arguing that that it's super cheap to start t software tech companies and that everyone has access to the Internet right now. And as he tells it that, you know, Amazon trounced borders and Netflix trounced Blockbuster, Spotify and Pandora are, are going to destroy the record labels. And, you know, these new video game makers like Zynga and Rovio, uh, the people who made Angry Birds are going to destroy Nintendo. In some industries, he writes that particularly those with heavy real-world components such as oil and gas, the software revolution is primarily an opportunity for incumbents. But in many other industries, new software ideas will result in the rise of Silicon Valley startups that invade existing industries in, with impunity. Over the next 10 years, the battles between incumbents and software insurgents will be epic. Joseph Schumpeter, the economist who coined the term creative destruction, would definitely be proud of what Anderson is laying out here, trying to say that, you know, this, this, uh, this, it's this inevitability, this, this kind of perfect, I would say, merging of capitalism and technology that's like creating new markets, but like, you know, raising everything uh, as, you know, as, as it rolls out. Right. His, his, um, it's interesting that he says, you know, uh, that they, these companies will invade existing markets with impunity, right? Because clearly there were, I mean, in 2000, when the bubble burst, one of the things that happened was there was no longer impunity, right? Microsoft was found to be a monopoly, right? And even in 2011, he writes this as though the only history is the history of technology and technology is always marching forward. But even in 2011, um, the, the, there were um, regulatory inquiries into things that, for example, Google was up to, right? 2011 was when the FTC started to look into some of the stuff around the self-driving car. And so this idea that tech is going to sort of be without impunity is is, um, well, <laughs> it's both right and wrong. I mean, I think that these companies have seen slaps on their wrist, but he is really calling for, as you say, like the raising of, of the rest of the world. And I think, you know, it's been eight years now since, since he wrote this. And I think it's interesting to look back on these pieces, particularly because, as you said, this phrase, software is eating the world, has been accepted as truth by a lot of people who perhaps don't even remember what the original argument was about, right? I mean, in some ways you can sort of look at this and say like, well, he was, he was not totally right. I mean, you know, the record labels are still here. Um, artists are wildly dissatisfied with the new streaming services. You know, Netflix destroying Blockbuster is really only a, a partial truth. Uh, you know, Zynga is defunct. Rovio really only had that one hit in Angry Birds. You know, Activision, one of these sort of traditional game companies that he said was going to go away, acquired um, King Digital Entertainment, which made Candy Crush. So some of these industries have actually been much more flexible than he suggested. And, you know, he, of course, you know, I, he says, too, that, you know, healthcare and education are going to be eaten. Um, he says that, you know, 
and again, back to 2011, we're at the point where these industries are, you know, who, people who resist technologies are going to be swept aside by this sort of inevitability for the, for the first time in history, you know, people who are entrepreneurs will have a say in education, which is grossly <clears throat> ahistorical, but whatever, he's silly. You know, he says that national defense is for the first time becoming software based, which is crazy since the national defense sort of invented the fucking computer. But, and then he talks about the skills shortage, which again, I think maybe we'll talk about in another episode. Cause it's another one of these catchphrases. I think that gets, that gets bandied, that gets bandied about. Um, and so I think what we should do, cause it's, I mean, on one hand you can say like, you can look back with, you know, eight years hindsight and say, okay, he didn't get it quite right. The software has, you know, software industry has not proceeded down the path that he foresaw. He did convince a lot of investors, though, to get in on get in on Facebook, to get in on LinkedIn, to get in on Twitter. So perhaps the broad brushes, he was right in terms of making Wall Street pay attention to tech. Yay. Congratulations, Mark. But I think it's worth maybe actually thinking a little bit closely about what does it mean to have software eat the world. So let's break that down into the three parts. Do you want to tackle software? Yeah, so, I mean, this is definitely the part that I would say I fell for. You know, when I when I heard people saying, talking about that story, I have to admit, I probably didn't read it. I was influenced by the software, the tech of this. So what, you know, what does he mean? Software is eating the world. Is it, you know, is it, you know web software is it is it mobile is it desktop is it you know what is it is it all the above but from my vantage point be doing apis you know there's more there's more layers behind the surface than than just what people see and you know i know other people also claim that data is eating the world and ai is eating the world and and everyone's kind of co-opted that because i think it's a great kind of meaningless catchphrase. I think that's why we want to dive into these things that people are able to latch onto. And then it just kind of pays forward this, this non-meaning, but people seem to rally around it. And, you know, is you know, so what is, what is software? I think it's, it's kind of loose enough that people kind of latch onto it, but what does it mean to them specifically? And, and then I always think about this as like, does it just mean that everybody uses email? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and everyone's I mean, like, on online like, in some yeah, way or another. Everyone use everyone has a mobile phone. Like, I don't know. Like, it just it seems like this is really like an over. I mean, I don't disagree that like a lot. You know, we do. We have in the last you know twenty years since the turn of the century, we have there is a lot more usage of software in our day-to-day lives in both professional, personal, um, crucial, mundane. But, you know, like software is so broad. Like, and just saying that like, you know, software has changed the way in which, you know, people work. It's like people, people spend their day on email. Is that like, nobody said in like the early 1900s, typewriters are eating the world. Maybe they did. You, you know, you never know. I'm going to go out on a limb. <laughs> Typewriters were not going to eat the world. <laughs> I think that would scare people away because or give, give them back. I think that's like a Muppet Show episode oh, where like yeah, the television so. eats people. 
Well, it's <laughs> it's conveniently loose, I feel, and it doesn't really, you know, capture all the details. So like what is the software? Who uses it? Why are they using it? Is it any good? You know, is is software everywhere a good thing? You and I have touched on this recently with we got given a new system to use for our apartment uh, building to to pay our bills and do things that's, you know, not just not a good user experience. And then I had one at work that was like, you know, this big decision around the, the HR system and and you get the link from HR saying, hey, you have to log in here. This is how you do what you do. And, and you go there. And the first thing I saw was you have to install Adobe Flash. And I was just like, oh, my God, this this is software eating the world. And it's like, I have to use this. We have to use that to pay pay our building, uh, pay rent and, and do other things that, and engage with where we live. And But it doesn't mean it's good and it doesn't mean it's helpful, but... I'm sure no, someone's making that's some not money. Even like a, yeah, the question of is like is software eating the world a good or bad thing only matters to Mark Andreessen insofar as he's making money. Right? So software eating the world is good because he's a he's an investor and he's invested in software and he wants people to buy more software so that he makes more money and the companies that he invests in are more valuable. There isn't a question of like, should there be, for example, to pick a recent a recent case, should there be software in an airplane that overrides the pilot's ability to correct changes in altitude, right? That does, you know, should the, how, how much software should a Boeing 737 have is not a question here. As long as Mark Andreessen is selling the software, he doesn't care. It's good. Yeah, I think it's it's purely a financial. It's purely a market driven. It's so software in this. That's why it. I think you're saying software, or he said software, is because it's it's a wide enough umbrella to to mean anything that that he's going to invest in. But what does what does eating mean? If software can eat, or is going to eat, or is eating, what does that mean? Yeah, this was this is a really interesting verb to use, I think, because you know, I've been trying to imagine uh, and I haven't found any historical antecedents. Perhaps there are, but it's a it's a it's an interesting verb to to say to use eat um to talk about the ways in which your investment, your your industry is changing the world because eating and change, eating the world and changing the world are even different. I mean, I'm sure that there were many people who predicted, you know, with the advent of the automobile, for example, that, you know, cars are, are radically changing the world, but eating the world implies something in something else. Right. But he doesn't, he doesn't use it. Our, our, what I think what bothers me is that this is a, this is about destruction, Right. I mean, he he invokes Schumpeter, right, uh, with this sort of idea of destroying other industries. But like, this is really about the sort of like destroying or consuming. Raising was the verb you used, um, and it doesn't. And it's he doesn't seem to have any um, pause that that about the destruction that 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 leaves. Right. I mean, and I see this as like. Um, I mean, it's like a, you know, it's like sort of this, this capitalist carnivore that's just chewing through, chewing through other 
industries, even if we just look at this industries, and I think we'll turn to this question of the world in a sec, but it's it's really is the sort of imperialist march toward that in which technology does not, technology has agency. I would step back and say capitalism. Capitalism is the driving force here, not tech. But that this is just going to sort of plow forward in this sort of imperialist fashion. And, you know, both you and I are reading Shoshana Zuboff's book right now, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And as I was, you know, as we were planning to talk about this today, there were so many passages in her book that made me pause and think, oh, God, like, this is what's happening when Andreessen is is writing that. And she talks a lot about Google coming up with this idea or coming up, I mean, Google didn't quite have said it, but this idea of dispossession, right? That that these technologies companies, these surveillance technology companies are scouring our lives and dispossessing us of certain certain elements of our experience, certain elements of our being, and then datafying that and um, profiting off of that, taking public spaces, taking our experiences, privatizing it in the hands, dispossessing us of, of, of something. And this is what the eating our world, the eating piece feels like to me, is it is about the sort of permissionless destruction and dispossession of of all of us. And so when you think about how kind of violent and this word is, to me it sort of raises the level of how offensive the statement is and then how doubly offensive it is that people would repeat this in the sort of this casual nonchalant way, the sort of exuberance that they're part of an they're part of a world, not just part of a technological industry but part of a financialized business that is in the process of destroying well and and just the i mean who who gave you permission to eat as you said it's it's permissionless and and and, and it's if it's eating the world it, and as we know it's kind of creeping into every space you know i'm it's it's in our tv it's it's you know people are getting these voice enablement these cameras these doorbells the internet of things and so it's like this it's it's like some you know people coming over and just eating without permission in your house in your workplace in your public space coming into your quaint little town and and driving around and consuming everything and not even asking permission not even announcing you're coming just just doing it so so i think you know i mean software eating the world what what why is that good why isn't that really really scary that 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 someone's coming into your space into your home follows you around in your pocket is in your automobile is in your town on signs and and they're consuming so what what consuming you consuming like you really like i mean i think that that's that's the eating piece it reminds me um i you know we (laughs) this is a tangent we have not we are not on stranger Stranger Things season three yet, but I've seen a lot of people talking about the never-ending story, which apparently makes an appearance in the latest season of the show, the sort of 80s nostalgia, right? And like, but I think about this sort of eating as this sort of nothingness, right? The sort of like nothingness that is like gobbling up the world without any kind of thought about what it what is happening, because we know that software 
I mean, I would challenge, but like, is there good software? Software is terrible. There's no such thing as good software. Like, name one piece of software that sort of works flawlessly and intuitively and that does not participate in, I should say, computing software, um, that like does not participate in sort of this sort of extraction. Like, so, I mean, software just does, it just doesn't work. And this idea that that is the, you know, that this is sort of, I mean, it's it's apocalyptic, right? Well, um, back to the surveillance capitalism book, Shoshana has some great comparisons with with natural resources. She she pushes back on the notion that that we're the products. She's saying we're the we're the raw material. We're the resources that they're funneling into training these predictive models and and then applying them and selling them. And sure, they're selling our data because we're just you know the the these distant uh raw materials that they you know have no names and have no lives we're we're totally uh disembodied virtual you know sure it's it's audio from within our house from our tv or it's it's our us going to school and location data and picking up our kids from school stuff like that but i think she really gets at it from a raw resource and going back to the 80s with another kind of one that'll resonate i know for you and i but used to see the the bumper stickers on people's, uh, at least where I grew up in Oregon, uh, you know, Earth first, we'll log the other planets later. And it's really this, this just insane belief system around, you know, that's public lands. That's, you know, these are people who are very anti-government, anti-regulation, but hey, those things have resources on them. Let's go get them. And I would say that that same translates into this new digital age and they, they don't see this stuff as, as us. They don't see these photos and videos as us. Yeah, it's so it's so strange because software is eating the world. One has to assume that like the world then is digested, right? The world is gone. You don't eat something and it still exists, right? If you eat it, you've consumed it. And it becomes, as you say, it's a raw material then for the creation of energy in the case of Andreessen for the creation of money. So when you eat the world, you are destroying the world. You've consumed the world. But of course, the world is still here. Software isn't eating the world. I mean, well, I'll pause. Software actually has immense, immense consequences on the environment. And anyone who pr- tries to pretend that somehow you're green when you use technology and you're a bad person if you use paper has not paid attention to any of this. I mean, the the amount of electricity, for example, that goes into creating, um, that Google or Facebook um, use is is sort of mind-boggling. I mean, they use a giant share of the world's electricity. But the, so this isn't, this isn't immaterial, but there's this idea that somehow technology, software, exists outside material constraints. It is not affected by the material. It's transforming everything into digital, which is silly, like I said, because we are all embodied. But I think that that is, it's connected to maybe another cliche that we can think about for another episode, but this this idea that of transcendence, right? This sort of Ray Kurzweil belief that like, We'll, we will be able to sort of leave our bodies behind, leave the world behind and become sort of pure digital, quote, intelligence. Um, so to say that software is eating the world is also, um, there's something about 
the world that, like you say, does seem like um, incredibly sinister, um, that, that it sort of sees, it sees us as a, a raw material. And then there's no, you know, particularly if you read his essay, there's, there's nothing that that consumption creates except for money. So we're, we are being logged, right, to use the sort of Oregon metaphor, our public space, our very existence is being strip mined, logged, extracted, you know, um, consumed, destroyed for investors, really. And, and I mean, they, they I, what, what troubles me is when I go to have this conversation or I, I push back on software eating the world with, with many friends who who have experience in, in, and, and have benefited from investments, you know, they're going to push back and say, you know, oh, there's good happening here. There's good things without, you know, and yes, sure. I can, I can point to a few, you know, good things that have come out of the web and technology. Sure. But all of that is at the cost of ignoring uh, the, all the negative consequences and being, you know, really unwilling to, to be honest with ourselves of what technology is doing in our daily lives. Is it, is it working well? Is it benefiting us? Is it bringing us joy? Is it benefiting everybody equally? And, and if you, you're saying yes to any of those questions, you're, you're out of touch and, 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 and you're in denial. Yeah. And I think that, I think that this, this sort of way in which these sort of casual phrases get bandied about, you know, without really scrutinizing what are the implications, right? Because, I mean, we've looked at all three parts of that, of that sentence, like software. We have questions about what does it mean by software. We have questions about the ethics of eating. And we have questions about, like, the results of using the world in this kind of way um, that, you know, that so many people can't pause and think that even if they want to, you know, continue, you know, even if they work in technology in the industry, even if they want to continue to sort of be part of a system, these systems, I mean, it's, it's impossible to get outside of capitalism, right? But like, to, to sort of open oneself up to this sort of neoliberal, um, destructive, extractive cliche, and not pause and think, wow, are there, are there other ways in which we could think of, and think of what we do other than this sort of, this destruction, right? Are there other cliche, are there other mantras that maybe we'd want to say? Like, I mean, software is changing the world, is certainly has such a different flavor to it than eating the world. Specificity about what you mean by software, you know, email, email is changing how people communicate is very different than software, software is eating the world, you know? Yeah, well, I think as, as you stated, you know, it's about who the audience of this was. And, and I think software is general enough, um, even non-technical people can grasp. Eating was kind of you know, in that, in, in your face, kind of, you know, that, that permissionless destruction consumption, that, that, you know, one that's going to appeal to the 1%. And then of course the world, it's world, the world wide web, it's, it's world domination. It's, it's world con you know, conquering the world. So I think it's, 
I think it was right for the audience. I just, I struggle with why people uh, pay it forward. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if we look at, you know, whether this was a good investment or not investment, again, like, the, even that part of it, even if you say, okay, this was a message for investors, investors, um, I don't mean venture capitalists, I mean investors in Wall Street, you need to get on board and recognize that these companies are valuable. Even that, even that is such a ridiculous shallow way of moving through the world as you said like I mean is Facebook valuable valuable like I mean if if your idea of valuation is solely based on stock on you know market caps stock market prices and convincing people that you know these particular business models are going to be good investments like you seem to be missing the boat on so much of what has happened even you know even in the even in the 8 years since this was written um this idea that the only thing that we need to be wary about when it comes to tech is whether or not tech is a bubble it just seems to be so grossly out of touch with um with politics with society, with culture. Yeah, that's all I have to say. I'm glad he blocks me. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely missing the important human element of all of this. And I'm ashamed that I ever uh, entertained or, or uh, didn't just push back when, when I he- you know heard this phrase in the past. But, you know, I think the system's not really designed for people to be looking back like we're looking back and, and, and assessing and having conversations about about what what these things mean and and whether they matter. So, I think it's also you know one of the things that was fascinating to me while we were doing our research is how the sort of um, like the the amnesia and I talk about this a lot in education technology, but just the amnesia, and I think that we are inundated with so many stories of the terrible these terrible things that these terrible companies do um many people have seemed to have convinced themselves that they're not terrible but that like i was like oh gosh i'd forgotten like i had forgotten the recent past and if we i don't know there's something about how our inability to remember and really reconcile the the recent past of tech um and to grant these to grant these companies more power than than perhaps they've earned by being even sort of, again, like long-term participants in sort of the economic engine of our country. Like these, are, these are new companies, and we've granted them a huge amount of economic power, but more importantly, I think, political and social power. And so if we cannot stop and take, take a look back at just what's happened in the last five or ten years, then we're really going to let people like Mark Andreessen dictate the future because he's rewriting the past, right? And we're forgetting the past. And I think that that's, you know, I think hope that that's what we can kind of walk through in some of these future episodes. Looking forward to it. Me too. Till next time. Till next time.